1: Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me At Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Schopta at C70. Joining me this week in lieu of Alan Medlock, who is still getting into that baseball season at Tulsa Hale, I've got Matt Polly. You'll find him on KMOX. You'll find him at Matt Polly on air. And Matt, how are you tonight?
0: I'm doing good. I uh, really appreciate you uh, inviting me on the program.
1: And this first time you've been with us, that I'm pretty sure, unless I'm, mm-hmm. my mind's slipping, um, give the people that may not be completely familiar with you just kind of a short background about, you know, what your what your history career history is and how you came to St. Louis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in St. Louis. I started in radio actually when I was in high school working at uh, KFNS, which was us, which is a sports radio station in St. Louis. Eventually went to college, uh, five years, uh, doing, doing that in Manhattan, Kansas at Kansas state, uh, embarked on a uh, journey of broadcasting minor league baseball did 10 years of that. And, uh. Albany, Georgia, Evansville, Indiana, Burlington, Iowa, and Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, the last six in Colorado, I was doing AAA ball. Uh, they, uh, the first five years, it was a Rockies affiliate. They changed to a Brewers affiliate. That got me locked into the Brewers. I got a job uh, doing pre and post in Milwaukee. And then uh, in the middle of the season, two seasons ago, uh, the Cardinals uh, pre-post job on the radio network, in addition to uh, doing sports open line at KMOX, that job came open. And I jumped at it, and uh, I—they I, hired me. Thank God, they hired me, and it's been the—it's been amazing ever since. I'm so glad to be working at KMOX. It's an honor to be on the Cardinal Radio Network. To be back in my hometown, uh, I, I'm just—I'm so blessed and so thankful to be in the position that I'm in.
1: It's that is—that's quite the resume, obviously, and in a travel travel log of of the country as well. Is do you feel like? You finally are able to to put down the roots. I mean, obviously you had some from growing up there, but you plan on staying in one spot for a while. Yeah, I
0: don't see uh, God willing, right? Like you, right. you tell God your plans, and and He <laughs>, laughs at you more often than not. But if it's uh, if it's under my control, uh, I am not moving again. This is where I'm at, and this is going to be where I'm at for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. I love being. Yeah, you know, one of the things I get a treat out of just walking into the KMOX studios every day. Mm. You know, I'm. I see all the pictures and I see the awards that are put up. We've got, we may have the best radio newsroom in, in the country and we're in a time right now in radio where uh, jobs are being cut and people are not worrying about doing the small things and we still worry about that stuff at KMOX. I Sometimes I feel like I fooled them that, that they hired me because it's almost like I, I, I don't belong, you know, deserve to, to belong in, in that studio and in that office. I'm just very thankful.
1: Well, and the good thing is, for the most part, St. Louis is a place where, especially media people, can be there for a long, long time. Right? I mean, this is this is not necessarily a, a market that you know kind of turns uh, through things. So, to to your point of wanting to stay, there's a really good chance you can.
0: Yeah, and you know that's when I was here, I was gone for 20 years, and mm-hmm. I get back, and yeah, there's there's some new people around. But a lot of the people that were around 20 years ago are still around. I I get to be colleagues now with Mike Claiborne and we we host shows together, and we we do games together, and things. You know, we'll, we'll work together during spring training on on some of those webcasts that I get to do. And this is a guy who was just so fantastic to me when I was in high school at, at, at KFNS, and now. We're colleagues, and he continues to be amazing to me. I, I can't say enough good things about Mike Claiborne. You know, uh, a Frank Cusamano being in the market. you know, One of the coolest, one of the play by play broadcasters I really look up to is Bob Ramsey. I think he is absolutely fantastic. You listen to him do slew games. But when I was growing up, he was doing Cardinals games. Mm-hmm. And after I got the chance to do a handful of Cardinals games at the end of last year, I had him on sports open line just to talk Billikins And he went out of his way to tell me I, I did a good job. And I'm just sitting there going, oh my gosh, a, a guy that I look up to so much that when I was kind of Designing myself as a play-by-play broadcaster, Bob Ramsey, and and his influence was such a big part of it. And he's complimenting me on on something that I did, so uh, I appreciate every single one of those those moments. This past weekend, I was on the Cardinal Caravan, and in our final stop in Centralia, Gary Gaetti joined us, and. The '96 Cardinals—that's my all-time favorite Cardinals team. That's—I would have been—I uh, was born in '82, so I've been 14 years old, and that was the team that I fell in love with baseball because of. I—I'm probably not talking to you right now if not for the '96 Cardinals. That's where—that's where everything started for me in my love of baseball. And uh, Gary opened up our program in Centralia. So he introduced me. I'm like, what world am I living in where the third baseman for the 96 Cardinals is introducing me in a room full of people? So stuff like that just keeps happening, and it's
1: awesome. That, that is incredible. Uh, yeah, those connections are amazing. So let's, let's, you mentioned it. Let's talk a little bit about that. What was it like to be able to do a couple of games last year? I mean, not that they were the, game, the season that you wanted to do them in, but put that aside. What was, what was that experience like for you?
0: It was a, it was, it's, it's a career highlight of career highlights. And when, when you do minor league baseball for 10 years, like I did, and there's a lot of really talented broadcasters, broadcasters who are much more talented than I am. Uh, but when you're, and and who have been doing minor league baseball a lot longer than, than I did it. Uh, but when you're in those spots, you always dream of that opportunity. And I was, uh, I was in Milwaukee. I was there for six years. I always thought, that would happen at some point in Milwaukee that somebody would get sick there'd be some sort of uh, opportunity there and it it just didn't happen and and that's fine I'm not mad at anybody Uh, there was a job that came open uh, going into my final year in Milwaukee that I went for hard Uh, bluntly they didn't really give much of a look to me for for whatever reason and that's their prerogative that was the moment where I kind of knew okay I've, I've I've gone as far as I can go in Milwaukee maybe maybe I'm being told maybe this is a message from 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 the Lord, from whoever, that uh, it's time to start looking around, and that's where I got a little bit more aggressive. And before that, actually, I'd, I'd introduced myself to the X program director and told him about myself and what was going on uh, way before that job even came open, because I knew someday a job would come open, and I wanted to be more than just one of a few hundred resumes that were was ending up on his uh, on his desk. So I knew I'd gone as far as I could in Milwaukee. I'd kind of given up on the play-by-play thing. I got to do the spring games. I was fine. I'm in a wonderful position doing sports open line and pre-post on the Cardinals radio network. And then, you know, just it was a fluke last year. Uh, Klabes had to have uh, was out for medical reasons. And then uh, Ricky had his medical issue up in Milwaukee. And the Cardinals thought highly enough of me to, to give me a call and. I jumped in my car that morning at 10, 10 30 and drove up to Milwaukee. I got into the ballpark maybe an hour before uh, first pitch and for it to happen in Milwaukee, like right. it was, it would have been right. great no matter what, but for me to walk into that ballpark and do a major league baseball, regular season game, play by play. I always thought my first opportunity would probably be in that ballpark. I never thought it was going to be like that. It is, uh, I love telling that story, and it's really uh, something that I still think about it a lot. It's just the, the whole the whole day of getting that phone call and jumping in the car and getting up there and, and everything that went along with it. Uh, and then I I have to say about this, John Rooney was so incredible to work with, and uh, he helped me along. And you know, I remember him telling me before the broadcast even started. Don't make this more a bigger deal than it actually is, but it is. But don't get me wrong. It's still a big deal. He reminded me it's the same game that you did all those years in the minors. And uh, at the end, I did four games. I did three in Milwaukee and then one in St. Louis. We get done on the, uh, the final game. And John and my dad used to do a little bit of work together a long, long, mm-hmm. long, long time ago. And they've stayed in a little bit of touch. And John looks at me and he goes, Matt, you think your dad's still up? I was like of course my dad's still up. He has listened to every single moment of the last four games. He goes, let's call him. And John on his phone calls up my dad and puts it on speakerphone and tells my dad how good of a job that I did oh, over the wow. over the last four days. So I mean, I, just, I kind of choke up a little bit when I even tell that story because it's such a it's such a cool thing.
1: That is that is incredible. You're right to, for it to all to work out that way. And, and again, especially to be in the in the spot where you just came from. Uh, that's. You, you, hard, you have to think there's a, a little bit of divine providence working, yeah. working there for sure. Um, that is about the only thing that had divine providence written on it from last season. However, <laughs> it was not a year that we would expect. You know, you had a pretty interesting perspective on this, I imagine, because you are hosting Sports Open Line. You're taking the calls what was it like to go through last season and, you know, continuing to get that kind of feedback, I guess we say.
0: Yeah, it's... So it's funny because we on our post-game show where I take calls, so we do the regular post-game show on the network, and then when that network post-game show gets over, we do another post-game show that only runs on KMOX, and that's where we take phone calls. So shameless plug for everybody listening across the country. uh, If you want to have more interaction after a Cardinals game, you can stream KMOX, and you can listen uh, to what we call the Extra Inning Show, and we take calls and everything like that. And it really the length of that show, there's, there's a few things that we do in every show no matter what, but the length of that show is largely dependent upon the number of calls we get. And my favorite shows to do are shows after big wins and great things happening. But we don't get calls after those shows because happy people don't call into radio shows Mm -hmm. unless you're really happy. Like the night of the pool, 700 home run, things like that. That's a little bit different. But those are historic moments, just really good moments. uh, Unless it's the playoffs or something, Uh, you don't get phone calls. But then on the bad nights, and there were a lot of bad nights last year it's call after call after call and the, the show goes, uh, forever. And I know a lot of radio people like that stuff and, and everything. I'm just, I'm, that's not me. I like doing the positive things. And, uh, I get in my car after those shows and I feel like I've been in a fight because it's just, it's just so much negativity. And, Um, sometimes it's fair. Sometimes it's not, there was a, the, the season went so poorly this past year that a lot of the negativity was absolutely fair and absolutely spot on. And there were some people who were calling in who were more locked in on what was happening in the season early on than I was, because it took me a while to say, okay, uh, this is actually not going to turn around and this is actually a pretty bad baseball team. So I give credit to, to those people who called and said that from the beginning, but it is, uh, it is challenging. And I, I, try to give a forum for people to be able to talk through things, I love debating baseball. There's, I, I have no problem talking to people who disagree with me. I enjoy talking to people who disagree with me, as long as they're, I'm willing to listen to them, as long as they're willing to listen to me, and let's have a really good baseball conversation, and we can walk out of the call and still disagree with each other. But what's frustrating to me is the people who are not willing to listen, who just want to yell and scream and say crazy things and. I, there, there's so many of those who who want to call and I, I look I appreciate everybody who's listening, but man, sometimes walking to my car, getting in my car, get making the drive home, it's just just kind of a what just happened over the last hour? Yeah.
1: yeah, that's that has to be you're right wearing for sure. and and you're online somewhat at least. you know, do you think that the negativity was about the same as you would see like on Twitter? Was it more? Was it less? I mean, could you or could you really tell? Or is a different type?
0: That's a really good question.
1: Um, I think it's mostly
0: the same. Now, I would say this: I think KMOX listeners tend to be a little bit older, and so I think sometimes. Um, yeah, you get the people who hate Oliver Marmol in part because he wears a hoodie sometimes and not the uniform. You get the people who think the Cardinals aren't going to win any games because there's a runner on at second and nobody out, so you need to bunt that runner to third. Like you, the, you get more of that in a post-game radio show on KMOX than you're going to get on social media, but you get a lot of the same social media reaction as well. That's where, honestly, winter warm-up and Cardinals caravan is so uplifting for me because I do live in a social media world. I'm on it every single day. I'm seeing the negativity. It frustrates me to you know to read the comments. Yet I do read the comments. I'm an idiot. I keep reading comments over and over and over, and I shouldn't, but I just keep doing it. So when I'm out there and it's you know negative two degrees and in, in you know Decatur, Illinois, and you got hundreds of people showing up to see Luke and Baker and Thomas and Jace and Jason Mond and Al Rabosky, it reminds me of who the who the Cardinals fans are because it's a I, I I truly all Cardinals fans were frustrated with what happened last year nobody except uh, will accept a 90 plus lost season and a team that would consistently do that uh but people still love the Cardinals people are still excited about them and I see those people when I go do those events and it's uh it's a very good thing
1: yeah that that, that is true so um so we get through last year and did you ever think, I mean, again, when you're coming back to St. Louis, you know, the history of the Cardinals, obviously. And did you ever really think you would run into a season like that? I didn't really think about it much, but I mm-hmm. look, that's
0: going to happen to every team. That's just, it's uh, some version of that story is going to happen. Every, I, I think it was a bit of a perfect storm when it came to the mm-hmm. Cardinals and the way and what happened last year and what's even remarkable. Like, I think about... What I said last year, and I'm people who listen to me know that uh, I'm, I get stuff wrong, and when I do get stuff wrong, I have no problem admitting that. I think that's one of uh, – I, I might be the best radio host in America at pointing out the things that I get wrong, uh, but it, it wasn't just that – we thought that the Cardinals were going to be a pretty good team; would probably win the division. It, it it wasn't if they were going to win the division. It was how many games are they going to win the division by? Mm-hmm. Are they going to have this thing locked up by uh, by middle of August? Something like that. And for so for it to be such, uh, there you go into years sometimes knowing that okay, this might not be the best year. Man, you got you need a lot of things to go right for this to work. That wasn't last season. It was, but we didn't know it before before right. the year happened. So maybe that's the biggest surprise—not that the year actually happened, because that's going to happen to teams, mm-hmm. uh, but that the it happened in a year where expectations were were pretty darn high at the beginning of the season. Yeah.
1: So the Cardinals have spent a lot of effort this winter to make sure that doesn't happen again and there's a lot of different moves that I want to talk to you about and and some thoughts about the 2024 team but today we get a signing that I don't think anybody actually saw coming right Matt Carpenter returning on a one-year deal getting paid the league minimum no guarantees of anything but that really kind of came out of nowhere what were you thinking about this edition of Matt Carpenter
0: yeah, like most people, when the when the press release hits the email inbox, you go, "Oh, oh, okay," <laughs> and then you start to like think through it. And the first thing I looked to see was, "Is this a 40 man roster spot, or is this a minor league contract with an invite to spring training?" And it, it was a 40 man roster spot. They were able to clear that uh, when they transferred the contract of James Nail to the KBO, so. As I think about it, the the first thing I think about is how much everything the Cardinals want to do this year is so connected to Mason Wynn making it work at shortstop. And This is probably Mm. something that a lot of people should be talking about a little bit more because the Cardinals have spent an offseason talking about... They, they want more stability in the everyday lineup, and that's part of why they they, they claim to trade Tyler O'Neill, and they, they want an outfield that looks the same, and they want an infield that mostly looks the same. For all of that to work, and it's it's somewhat dependent on Edmund playing center field, and if Edmund's there, that means Mason Wynn is playing well at shortstop. Well, if Wynn doesn't play well at shortstop, all of a sudden, Everything goes, you got to bring Edmund in to play short. What's the role for, for Dylan Carlson at that point? They they want to be a, a fourth outfielder, uh, all all those things kind of start to become uneven, and everything that they've been talking about this off season, it doesn't come to fruition. So bringing that back to Matt Carpenter, when I see that they sign a Carpenter, I feel like in many ways it's just it's protection at a bunch of spots. It's protection uh, at your corner, you know, at third and at second. It's protection in the corner outfield spots, and then it's also protection in terms of leadership inside the clubhouse, which nobody is. Um, Nobody's run away from the fact that maybe that didn't exist last year the way they would have liked. Oliver Marmol spoke extensively about that in the final weekend of the year that they got to get some of the personalities right in the clubhouse and excuse me maybe um, maybe this team didn't realize the impact of Yadier Molina in the clubhouse and you know Adam Wainwright he, he had his own stuff to deal with last year and even though it was just Albert Pujols returning for one year he's he's a strong presence and. Nolan Arnato and Paul Goldschmidt lead in, in different kind of ways and everything. So that clubhouse lost some leadership and it became uh, a place that was not what you are expecting out of a Cardinals clubhouse. So again, that that plays into this Matt Carpenter thing as well. I do think we need to say very loudly what you also just said. It's a one year deal on the minimum. So if he doesn't play well in spring training, there's no guarantee that he makes the club. I do think in some ways you can compare it to what happened with Paul DeYoung this past year. DeYoung got so many more opportunities than you think he probably should have deserved. Now then we can go down the the path of well who should have been in those spots that DeYoung was getting. But I, cardinals sometimes stick with people maybe a little bit longer than than they should and it felt that way with DeYoung. So the one thing that maybe I would be worried about is some fluky things happen and all of a sudden Carpenter's in the lineup on an on an everyday basis and maybe he is performing maybe he isn't performing but if if that ends up happening then I think something went wrong but if he's the 26th guy off the bench if he somewhat resembles the guy that he was in New York a couple seasons ago uh, he and he's able to lead in the clubhouse it's a it's a good signing but there's there's no risk to this thing and I'm just I, I'm making the assumption, and I'll be right on this until I'm wrong, I'm making the assumption that they're going to uh, be very honest about his production in spring, and they're not going to push him onto the roster just because he's Matt Carpenter, that he's got to go into Jupiter and he's got to win a job.
1: And, and that may be the case. I will say uh, a lot of the comments that we heard from Mo and, and Ollie today kind of didn't come across that way to me, at least they kind of, kind of came across like Matt Carpenter's going to be on this team um, because of, Hey, he's a leadership role and, and we know what he can do. And we know that he's not here to play every day and all that kind of stuff, but it didn't sound like, you know, and, and maybe you don't say that on the, on the first day, you know, maybe you don't say he's coming in and he's got to earn his spot or whatever the case may be, because you're trying to, to sell the veteran leadership part of that. But, you know, spring is such a time. And, and I know, you know, this for sure, a, a time where you see really good results, but it's also like, you know, three weeks against AAA players to some degree, right? Taylor Motter kind of comes to mind as well. Um, so even if he has a good spring, how much, how much weight do you put on that and all that kind of stuff? I, it just was very, it, 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 it's very interesting to me how much. The Cardinals, they've really kind of almost gone overboard to some degree on the the character leadership issue. I mean, Lance Lynn and, and Kyle Gibson are guys that they've really kind of leaned in on that. Then they bring in Matt Carpenter. I, I mean, are you? I mean, when you were dealing with the team last year, did you have a a general sense that there was something, some, some something, maybe not to the extent that we're seeing, but something a little bit off? No. Uh, but I mean, there were mo
0: like there were weird moments mm-hmm. and maybe I should have made more of them. The- remember the thing with Nolan Arnato last year where, you know, MLB networks thrown him in the Dodgers lineup and, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're not hearing anything from the Cardinals about they're not going to trade him, and he leaves the clubhouse and then he comes back into the clubhouse, you know, 10 minutes later to address it because he felt like he needed to, um, there, there was the, uh, just the, the odd things that went down with Genesis Cabrera and his, so there were, there were some weird things that were happening when you're in the moment. I don't know if you recognize that maybe that's a, uh, maybe that's a product of something more. Now, look, i I am in the clubhouse for 50, 55 minutes a day for home games, right? Like I don't travel with the team that much. Uh, I, I did last year when, when I did those games, but for the most part, when the team's on the road, I'm, I'm working out of a studio and when the team's at home, I'm at the ballpark and I'm there for 50, 55 minutes. If you're having a bad season, guys tend to not be in the clubhouse during the open media portion because they don't want to talk. And that's, that's true. No matter what team that you're around. Okay. So I may have more of a sense of what's going on in the clubhouse than just a, the average Joe out there because I get 55 minutes a day and they get zero minutes a day. But 55 minutes a day during a very select portion is still a, a, a small amount of time. And the, the dirty laundry that might be going on in there is is not going to come out. Is there a little bit of overcompensation for what was going on last year in, uh, in a clubhouse that uh, is openly described as not being the best? Maybe. Maybe there is. Um, when it comes to Carpenter, or the, the things that I'm worried about, like you've you've got a young catcher in Ivan Herrera who's got to get at bats, and there's going to be days where you want to DH him. And if Carpenter all of a sudden starts taking a bunch of the DH at bats, what, what's that going to do for him? Uh, Alec Burleson, it's, it's, at some point in his career, he's going to be a heck of a major league hitter. He's got to get at bats. So I don't think... I, I, I trust the Cardinals enough here and maybe that's misled trust, but I trust the Cardinals enough here that Carpenter's presence is not going to stunt the growth of a Burleson, of a Herrera, of anybody, of any other young player uh, that those at bats are not really going to be taken away from them. But also from a very literal raw standpoint, every time he takes in at bat, somebody else is not taking at bat. So maybe they they are. Um, taking some at bats away, so that that's the dynamic that I'm really going to be watching for going into this. And, and by the way, you're right. You on your assessment of Mo's comments earlier today, um, uh, I wasn't on that call, but I saw a bunch of them. And then I was on the Matt Carpenter call later on in the day. It the way everybody's talking, it does almost feel like a a foregone conclusion that he is going to make the club. Uh, I just I don't think that's true. I I think that he's going to have to earn a spot.
1: Yeah, and and I, and I would hope so. I think that there there are ways for him to show leadership. Obviously, even just in spring, and those lessons can translate. And heck, they keep expanding the coaching staff, so there's also a possibility that if he doesn't make the roster, that you know he shifts into coaching all, all of a sudden. I, you know, who knows? But um, I, I think that's just it's just very interesting the approach there, and and again. It's interesting, also, that the Cardinals go back to that Cardinal legend about to retire. Well, right, that we've had yeah. over the last two or three years. It's like they looked around and realized they didn't have that roster spot field, so they they went out and get Matt Carpenter. I, I and and I guess that works. It's it's interesting. I, I guess I want to. It's, I want to see if the the stature of a Matt Carpenter is the same, I mean, that's a, that's a drop-off, right? I mean, he's still got a a cachet in the Cardinal organization, but he's not Albert Pujols. He's not Yadier Molina, maybe not even Adam Wainwright, right? I mean, there's a little bit of different approach there from the people than, than maybe that reverence that you get uh, over a a Hall of Famer. Yeah, without a doubt, 100%. And
0: does he, he doesn't get the leeway at the beginning of the season, I don't think, that an Albert Pujols did. Right, if, right. if he's putting up the numbers two months in the season that Albert was putting up two months in the season, it's, you know, thank you for everything, but this probably isn't working. Uh, the other question, what what if he doesn't have an especially good spring and the club gives him the option, hey, would you, do you want to go down to Memphis for a little bit and, and see if you can get it together and see if an opportunity pops up here at the big league level? Uh, that's probably the moment for him where he's at a career crossroads. And so there's just... But you're right. It's it's very different. It is incredibly different uh, than bringing in Albert Pujols. I do think, though, there was, there was value when Albert was on that team in having a really good hitter being in that DH spot more often than not. Pujols, especially down the stretch of the season. And I know, obviously, he was going for 700, so they were going to play him as much as they possibly could. But mm-hmm. Pujols essentially became the everyday DH for the club and since he's left the team has openly spoken about the fact that they want to use the DH more as an opportunity to get Rick guy, guys off their feet. You, know, you, you want to give Paul Goldschmidt a day off from the field but you want to keep his bat in the lineup and clearly there's some value to that but I do openly wonder is there more value in having a pretty good hitter who is maybe a little bit older who can be in that DH spot on an everyday basis because it certainly worked a couple of years ago with Albert.
1: Definitely did. And, and they're, de- I mean, the Cardinals, of course, what, you know, two, three years now into this DH thing that I'm still not necessarily uh, enamored with, but that's because I'm an old fuddy duddy. Um, Me too. But <laughs> I'm glad to know that. Um, but, you know, I think they are still trying to figure out the best way to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think if Carpenter or, or, Alec Burleson or somebody takes off like that, then maybe they will, you know, I mean, you could still rotate occasionally, you know, if Burleson is hitting in the DH spot five times a week, you still got time for, for Paul to get a a game there or Nolan or whatever the case may be, or Gorman or whoever. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting thought to see if maybe that a little bit more consistency in that DH spot might not be what the offense kind of needed because, the offense did struggle last year at, at consistency. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the weirdest
0: things about last year is the offensive numbers were pretty good. They didn't pass the eye test. I'm not an eye test guy, by the way. I think the eye test lets you down a lot. Stats are stats. And, there even one of the weirdest things last year is the runners with scoring position because it feels like the team was horrible when runners were on in scoring position yet you go look at those numbers and the numbers with runners in scoring position are very similar to what the overall numbers are um and they they weren't a big drop off now there were some there were some strikeout there were some things that that were you know notable in that but for the most part the numbers were the same it was really the difference between performances and wins and performances and losses and that's probably true to a certain extent for most teams if you win a game you probably played better than games you lose that's a that's a pretty standard thing in sports uh but what's What's really remarkable is when you go to look at the really dive into the stats from last year and separate out the games that they won and the games that they lost. And then you start digging in from there because the overall numbers, it's one of those weird times where I I don't think they totally tell the story of last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, And again, we going into this, you know, when when October hit there wasn't a whole lot of clamoring of we need to do something about the offense, right? There was the idea of, okay, Tyler O'Neill's probably going to get traded. Um, you know, we got to clear up a little bit, but for the most part, things were going to be left alone there. Obviously the pitching side of things was significantly different. What was your feeling as the Cardinals lock up three starters right there in about a week's span of time? Did you think that that was all they were going to do?
0: Thought there was a chance for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, that there was a chance that they were going to be done at that point. Um, I think that this was somewhat of a band-aid to make to give themselves the chance to at the very least be a competitive team this upcoming season. And I know that sounds like a negative statement. It's it's not meant as a negative statement, but when you're coming off a ninety loss season, you've got a you've got a big turnaround. You got to you got to flip that 90 on the other side or at least get close to it if you want to be a team that's going to be in the playoffs. So there was a there were drastic changes that were needed and they go out and they, they work quickly. Now, if they would have known that the free agent market was going to move as slow as it has moved this year, would have they acted as quickly? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, you, you can never tell. I, I had a conversation with John Moselak just yesterday, mm-hmm. and we, we discussed it for, for just a moment, where he, you, know, you don't really know what the market's going to look like when when the market first opens. So they go get innings, they go get guys who are, are going to give you a chance to win in in Gibson and, and Lynn assuming Lynn has some type of bounce back from last year and doesn't give up as as many home runs uh they get guys who are good in the clubhouse they they do get um a really good pitcher in Sonny Gray a guy who can be at the top of the rotations we all know second in the American League Cy Young Award voting uh last year this guy is really good and he's saying all the right things it feels like he should have been a Cardinal A long time ago, just based off the way uh, that he's that he's talking, I've been a little surprised at how the lack of excitement about a Sonny Gray from some people because he's a guy that you can put at the top. Would you like to have one more Sonny Gray type guy at the top of the order or top of the rotation so you have two top rotation pitchers? Because right now it feels like you got a one or a two, however you want to view Gray, and then you got a bunch of guys who kind of slot in that four or five spot, or maybe Mm -hmm. maybe a three, but it's really they're more like kind of four or five level pitchers. Uh, but they are guys who pitch a little bit deeper in the game. one, one the the from a pitching standpoint, the biggest thing that has to happen is the bullpen has to be more effective and the bullpen has to not blow as many games. I say I, I've repeated this a million times and anybody who listens to me knows exactly what I'm about to say. It, you could go. I I look at the stats basically from up until the trade deadline. After the trade deadline, anything that happened from that point on, right. it didn't matter because they were sure. a different team. So you take the stats at the trade deadline. If you would have taken the blown saves and just cut them in half, it still would have been a bad save percentage. It wouldn't have been good. It would have been. I think it would have been lower half in baseball if I if I remember correctly. But there would have been nothing special about that. You'd probably been having a slightly below average year. But that, that alone would have put this team in a completely different spot. They still would have been in contention. Maybe they do some things at the deadline in terms, of, uh, in terms of buying, and it's a completely different world. So what the Cardinals need to make sure happens this year is that they don't overwork their bullpen to a point where they're just simply not effective, and they can't close out the potential wins the way it happened over and over and over. So if, if you can get starters to just keep you in games, Uh, If you can get the offense to do what it basically did last year uh, with just a little bit more consistency, and if the bullpen is more rested where they're given a much better opportunity to take games that you're leading in the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth innings and actually convert those into wins, that's that's the equation for this team to flip the, the wins and losses from last year to next year. And in an NL Central, and I think the Cubs are still the outlier, and we'll see what happens with uh, the – there's a bunch of guys out there that are still very good free agents who have been connected to the Cubs, and that's the thing that worries me the most right now is that the Cubs still have an opportunity to very much improve themselves. But if that doesn't happen, you look at the division right now, the Cardinals are just as good as the Cubs, just as good as the Brewers. They're probably not as talented as the Reds, but the Reds don't have that – it still feels like maybe they're a year off from refining that talent – that's that's the pathway to winning the division and getting in the postseason. At the same time, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Phillies, you look at the Braves, and you say, okay, there, there there's a gap between those teams and who the Cardinals are.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And before I get any farther, I do want to recommend. I haven't had a chance to listen to your your conversation with John Moseley a lot, but it's on my list of things to do. So if you're listening to this after you're done. Go find the link over on, on Matt's Twitter page because I am—I am no doubt that it's a, an in-depth experience that that you really enjoyed. I imagine from what from what it sounded like, you you had a really good conversation with John.
0: It was fantastic, and we talked. If you're uh, if you're going into that to hear what more moves that they're going to make this year and his thoughts on the acquisition so far, this that's not what it was. Um, like we've done that. We've he's yeah. answered those questions many times this off season. So I really went into it saying, what are the questions you don't hear John Locke answer very often. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask those and we got into his uh, him growing up. He actually grew up a Cardinals fan. I did not know that. He had a Cardinals trash can in his bedroom growing up. He uh, had a fantasy team in the 80s that had Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and Terry Pendleton. Uh, so we got into that. We got into his how he entered baseball uh, with the Rockies and then how that led him to the Cardinals eventually with uh, with Walt Jockety, uh, his emotions before he got the GM job, uh, his thought on the rule changes. I mean, we... We went all over the place. It was close to 40 minutes that I talked with him. And again, I, I asked him, I, I may have asked him, I think I asked him, what's this period like right now with so many free agents available and you know, three weeks before the, uh, the start of spring training? I think that was the only question I asked him that applied to the 2024 20, Cardinals. Everything else was kind of more about him. And uh, I enjoy a lot of what I do in my job. Man, I really, really, really enjoyed that conversation.
1: Yeah, I I can well imagine. Um, That should be fun. I I can't wait to to listen to that. Um, But to go back a little bit to what you were saying on that, I I agree the Cardinals needed to do something, obviously. I I do think it's interesting that when they sign – you know, they sign Gibson right after they sign Land, and they're they're talking about, well, these guys aren't going to be there if we don't jump on them. And then you see how slow everything else has gone, and you wonder how – are they reading the market correctly? Is that a case where, you know, I think Kyle Gibson did say he was talking to other teams. So maybe they were guys that could have gone off the board anyway, but these are guys that wanted to come to St. Louis. It's a little bit interesting to see how they approached this. Not even if you agree with what they did, which is, is fair, uh, a little bit different, interesting how they approached it versus what we've seen the rest of the winter.
0: Yeah. So you think about free agency and the speed in which the market moves. Before the last CBA, it was horribly slow, year after year after year. And the, the the players wanted owners to start spending money. And that was part of what they were fighting for in the CBA. And then the new CBA is signed, and we get to last offseason. And it was a pretty aggressive off season, it moved. It moved very quick. When we were at this point of the year last year, there were very few top tier free agents that were still available. A lot less than they, that there are as we're talking at you know nine thirty nine p.m. or whatever the date is today on January nineteenth. And um, so I think going into this offseason, uh, for me, I thought okay that the, the new CBAs in the books, we're gonna we're gonna see more aggressive off seasons moving forward. I do think major league baseball owners find reasons to be scared sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was COVID. It was this, it was that right now it's our essence. We, We don't know what's going to happen with regional sports networks moving forward. So, so often a majority of major league owners kind of work in concert and the, the market moves slowly or spending goes down and more, more teams than not kind of follow that song sheet. and, That's what has surprised me. So I just simply because... It was another year under the current CBA and last year's offseason was was aggressive. I thought we would have another aggressive offseason this year and I realized there'd be a handful of teams that would move slow like you know teams like the Twins who were very open about the fact that mm-hmm. they were going to drop payroll and they were scared about the RSN situation. But I didn't think that was going to represent a majority of teams and I was wrong. It did represent a majority of teams. If you're the Cardinals, I think you can be pretty secure that a fair amount of your TV money is going to come in. Uh, you you eventually got the uh, the, the word from Bally for this year that you were going to get the uh, the full payment. There's still a lot up in the air, but at the even if it takes a dip for a couple of years as we transition transition to whatever's next, and maybe Amazon's involved in that, maybe they're not. Who knows? Uh, there's a lot again up in the air. I think at the end of the day, teams like the Cardinals are still going to be bringing in about the same amount of money, and th- there's not a reason to be worried. But that's that's what frust- really frustrates me. I'm a I'm a pro player guy, and. I don't want to see the market move this slowly. I I appreciate the Dodgers for for the way they have been able to spend money. There's there's an issue, a small issue here and a small issue there that I might take with what they're doing. But I'm I'm definitely more happy uh, for what the Dodgers are doing and would like to see more owners work in a way that is somewhat similar to the Dodgers. Even if they're not, yeah, not every team in baseball can spend the amount of money that the mm-hmm. Dodgers are spending, but every team in baseball can be. As aggressive as the Dodgers in signing who they want to sign and guys who fit under their payroll constraints and everything, and that's what I would like to see more of.
1: You know, I've talked to some people and we talked thought back to the you know that little deadline right before the lockout in in twenty one, where you know everybody signed within <laughs> like about about three days. You know, is that the kind of thing that you think baseball might eventually do? Is put some sort of like maybe it's even January 15th, you, you, you know, it deals, there's a window between January 15th and opening day where you can't make any moves. Do you think they'll do something like that? Or do you think there's a benefit to just continuing to have this drag out?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. So I was at the winter meetings in Nashville mm-hmm. and I'm a big guy. I'm a big believer in, I love baseball and I want the spotlight on baseball At every single moment possible. I want more people loving baseball the way I love baseball. That's one of the reasons that I'm I'm frustrated that they got rid of the August 31st trade deadline because that was, if nothing else, that was just another moment for some baseball news to happen where football is getting started. But we're able to shine a little bit of a spotlight on baseball. So I'm a -hmm. I'm a shine light on the sport guy. And we're sitting there at the winter meetings and everybody's there. It's one of the few times that ESPN might actually talk about baseball a little bit and just nothing is happening. And it's I'm, I don't believe in a baseball salary cap, so don't, don't, take, don't take what I'm about to say as that. But you do look at the cap sports and as a free agent, you know that you got to get yours or you're not going to. So the moment free agency opens in football and in basketball, boom, boom, thing, things are happening right away, and that doesn't happen in baseball because technically there's unlimited spending. Obviously, um, you get into revenue sharing and the you know the, the the soft cap or the unofficial cap that a lot of teams uh, go by. Uh, but when um, agents are going to play this out, so the only thing the only thing I've ever thought of that if if baseball sits there and says, you know what? We want to find a way for a bunch of things to happen at once. The only thing I've ever thought it would be a possibility is you delay the opening up of a a free agency. And maybe you have like, because the NBA and the NFL, they each have legal tampering periods where Mm -hmm. free agent conversations are allowed to happen, but no signing is actually allowed to happen. And maybe you do align it with the winter meetings. I know the GM meetings are just a few weeks earlier than that, and you probably don't want to have a freeze during the GM meeting. So there's definitely flaws to what I'm saying here, but maybe you have like a two or three week Legal tampering period, and that leads into the winter meetings. And at the winter meetings, you open up free agency at that point. And at the very least, the conversations that were taking place the last three weeks can all become official. I I don't know. Maybe your idea is good, where you close things, you you open up free agency, but then you close it down for a month. So if you don't get a deal done by. By January fifteenth or by January first, you can't do anything in that entire month, and then you're almost to uh, pitchers and catchers reporting after that. I think it would be hard to enforce that. There's still going to be those unofficial conversations that are taking place. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. My little plan there—that's the best thing. I—it's the least terrible idea. It's probably still a terrible sure. idea, but it's the least terrible idea I've ever heard.
1: You know, as we were talking here, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, the one thing that motivates the owners is, is money, obviously. So, you know, what if the earlier you signed a player, the less that money hit the, the salary cap or the, the tax, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That, you know, if, you know, maybe it normally would have been a, a $30 million hit, but you signed them in November. So it's a $20 million hit or something like that, you know, does that encourage people to get, you know, out in front of things? I don't know, you know, owners like to save money, so if you can get somebody and and not have to pay taxes, maybe that's the case. I don't know. That's just, you know, as we were coming as you're talking there thinking about, you know, what could motivate them, but it does feel like there needs to be something cuz we've had too many not not every year, but we've had a lot of of off-seasons in the last little bit that yeah, we're dragging around. I mean, who would have thought that the Cy Young Award winner in the National League still doesn't have mm-hmm. a team three weeks before spring training starts?
0: Yeah. And, you know, the hu- I talk about the human side of stuff a lot. That's sort of one of my, mm-hmm. my things. And the human side of that is if you're Blake Snell, uh, you don't know if you're going to be doing spring in Florida or Arizona. You don't know where you're going to be living. You don't know all these things. And now at the end of the day, he's going to be making a whole lot of money. So that stuff probably doesn't matter. And he's got people that's going to be able to help him get all that stuff figured out. But if I'm, I'm traveling to spring training on February 12th as a radio guy and if my plane wasn't booked already, if my accommodations were not booked already, I know I would be freaking out. And I know if I was a baseball player and I was a free agent and I knew that we were just a few weeks away from spring training opening up and I didn't have a job yet, I would freak out. Now, if you're Blake Snell, you know, you can, you can sign at any moment. There's there's offers out there to make you a very highly paid pitcher. And there's a handful of teams that you can sign. If you, if you called your agent right now and said, I want to sign with somebody in the next 15 minutes, you can make that happen. But if you're some of these lower end uh, free agents, even good players who are going to be on teams this year, man, that would, I would have a really hard time with it being the date that it is right now and having no clue who I'd be playing for this year.
1: Well, yeah. And especially older players, right? I mean, well, let's just take Lance Lynn, for example, if the Cardinals hadn't signed him by now, you know, and he's still out there, is, is he starting to have this idea of, is this it? Is it? Am I? Am I done? You know that kind of thing, and, and and maybe not as much for Lynn, but there are players like that that, especially as baseball has kind of shifted away from older players, you know, they're they're kind of a, in a, an existential quandary here of, am I done with the only thing I've ever known?
0: Yeah, you think about Matt Carpenter. If if the Braves aren't paying most of his salary. Mm -hmm. is he willing to sign a deal somewhere for the major league minimum? Or is he at a place where, you know what? I've had a nice career. It's time to go ahead and, and be home. He's, he's going to make a bunch of money anyway. So he might as well go ahead and try to keep playing. But if, if you don't have that, if he would have signed a one year deal last year and he was just a true free agent right now, is he at a point right now where he's having those thoughts about whether or not he's ever going to be able to play again? And you know, the, the Lance Lynn comparison or Lancelin question, it probably de- it probably depends on what the interest level is. Like there, There's a bunch of free agents right now that, that aren't in the exact same position as Blake Snell, but certainly there's been offers and interest from teams. So as a guy, you know that at the very least, I've got this sitting in my back pocket, but there's also going to be guys out there who... There just hasn't been a lot of communication, or maybe the communication has been, "Hey, you know what? We've we've got some interest, but we need to. We're 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 knocking down a few other doors. We're just telling you that you know, depending on how things go, we might want to have a conversation here in a little while.
1: Or you're a guy that you think you have something in your back pocket, and then the team goes out and signs somebody else, and all of a sudden that's that's not there. It's a. I mean, you're right. The human side of this, we don't talk about as much. It's a lot easier to think of Ottomans playing this whole game, but can
0: I, can I just real quick? I like telling the story. If you don't, I'm not you, trying to take control sure. of your podcast, but I love telling the story. So I'm in Milwaukee and, um, a guy was packing a, a guy who had just been sent down to AAA is packing up a box into his car. He's got his wife and he's got his kids. His wife is crying and, He's trying to get his kid like into the car seat. He's trying to get everything fit. And you know, when when emotions yeah. are high, stuff mm-hmm. doesn't fit, and everything's kind of going crazy. And that that moment is one of the biggest moments in my career in terms of recognizing baseball players as human beings. Because you think about them as machines, you don't. You know, when the the very normal transaction of the, the 28th guy, the tw- guy on the roster who's up and down uh, between St. Louis and Memphis, the relief pitcher who comes in and he mops up for three, four innings and his arm shot. So he's going to go back to Memphis until the next time that happens and somebody else needs an opportunity. We never think about people as human beings in that spot. And. I am honestly grateful that I I saw that pitcher that day who was being sent down to AAA and how it had completely wrecked his life. And he was playing in the big leagues last year. He had a a really good, uh, really solid career. So he did fine for himself. But it was that moment where I kind of made the commitment to myself that as I went through this career doing what I was doing, I was never going to forget that athletes are human beings.
1: Yeah, because we tend to, especially fans, or at least some fans, will say, well, they're making X amount of millions, which, granted, people like that aren't, right? They're making 700000 which is, hey, I'll take that. Don't get me wrong. But that's not necessarily set you up for life money either. I mean, a lot of these guys do have to do something. And if you're bouncing between the minors and majors, you're not getting that full amount either. So, But even if they're making... $200 million, even if it's Shohei Hotani, right? I mean, he's making a ton of money. And yes, that helps make things feel a little bit better and all that. But he's still going to have to go through. I mean, he doesn't have to go through too much of a change. He's staying in L.A. But if he had had to go to Boston or something like that, he's still having to get into a whole new environment and things of that nature. And just because he's rich doesn't mean that he's not you know, dealing with those things as well. Absolutely. 100% as we turn our attention, we got about another 10 minutes or so here. So we start looking at 2024. Again, we've talked about what the Cardinals have done so far. You said you're heading down to, to Jupiter here in, in about three weeks. When you get down there, what are you looking for? And what are you expecting out of the 2024 Cardinals? My, my, the number one, and
0: I alluded to this earlier, the number one thing I'm looking for is, is Mason, when mm-hmm. being able to hit just enough, If he hits more than enough, that's fine. But the minimum hit just enough that they can head north and he can be the everyday shortstop. Because for everything to work the way this team wants it to work, When's got to be the shortstop. And that's, to me, that's the number one question uh, going in. I, From an acquisition standpoint, I assume they're still going to add to the bullpen. They need to add to the bullpen. That's, uh, you, you need another guy or two that you feel comfortable in leverage situations, uh, seventh, eighth, ninth innings. I thought the Kittredge acquisition was, was fantastic. I uh, was really happy that they made that move. Nothing against uh, a Richie Palacios, who... He had a really nice final month of the season last year, and I hope that he goes to Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay does what Tampa Bay does and allows players to be the best version of themselves. Like The the, the better he plays, the happier I'm going to be. It's not something I'm going to begrudge uh, the Cardinals for making that move, but Kittredge is a guy I think you can trust, who you can put into those leveraged situations. Uh, so I guess those would be the two things. Mason Wynn doing enough to be the everyday shortstop, and the bullpen being built in a way that you feel very confident if the team takes a one-run lead in the seventh inning.
1: You, you're talking about Mason Wynn and, and and him hitting well enough, which I agree. I think that's a that's a big deal. But is there a? I, I think back to a number of years ago, Colton Wong, right? That he kind of got, you know, he got sent to Memphis because nobody else was hitting. <laughs> you know, that, that, that idea that if if everybody's hitting in this lineup, does it matter as much? if wins hitting a hundred and he bring if he brings good defense versus, you know, if everybody else is off to a slow start, does that raise the expectations of what you need out of Mason? Wynn?
0: Probably. Yeah. I, I think that's in some ways that's fair. I, I don't see a scenario where he's hitting like a buck 20 and he stays on the team. Right, even, right. even if the team's winning 75% of their games and they're leading the league and, batting average and ops and whatever like there's there's a minimum standard i don't know what that is i don't know if it's a you know if he's got to be a 220 hitter or whatever he he can't get he's got to be above 200 i think is the and we can look at the other numbers but it has, it has to be borderline respectable i also think you know, you're, you're going to get some home runs out of second base from Nolan Gorman. You're going to get a bunch of home runs, assuming he's healthy. He's got the potential to be a 30-plus home run guy. You're getting a bunch of home runs from the catcher's spot uh, because of because of Wilson Contreras. So there's two positions, second base and catcher, where you generally don't get a lot of extra base hits. You don't get a lot of slug if you're most teams, and the Cardinals are going to get that. So that allows you, if, if we're playing the game where – You expect certain production out of certain positions, and no team will ever say that they actually do that, but they do. And if we're going to go ahead and play that game, the fact that you're going to get the, the extra base power out of second and catcher that allows you to do some other things uh, in the lineup where maybe you don't get it. It gives you, you, know, you can put Tommy Edmond in center field and not that center field is a big power position, but you're not going to get from Edmund what a lot of teams get out of center field. So there, there is some wiggle room. I think that's the point you're trying to get to. There is yeah. some wiggle room with this team in terms of having, Uh, a hitter in the lineup who's really, really good defensively, who's just not having a very good offensive season and just leaving there. I would also throw this back on you, though. Mason Wynn has the opportunity to be an all-time player for the Cardinals. And at some point in time, if he just can't hit, it's not doing him any long-term favors keeping him up in the big leagues and you, you probably have to send him down and just, if for nothing else, give him a chance to breathe a little bit. So there's there's a lot of things that are going to go into that continuing decision process next year.
1: Yeah, I, I think we kind of saw that a little bit with Jordan Walker last year, right? I mean, he got sent down to try to tinker with a few things and then came back up. There's an argument to be made that maybe he shouldn't have been up to start with, but it, you know, it tended to work out and I think that's you know, besides Mason Wynn, one of the things that a lot of people are looking at this year is not only is he going to take that step offensively, what does his defense look like? I know he's been down there working with Jose Aquindo. What do you think we'll see of him as an outfielder?
0: Uh, it's going to be better. And I, I don't think he was bad in the final month of the mm-hmm. season last year. I think he really improved during the year. People forget, yeah, he's he was basically two, three years out of high school, and he was a year of playing the outfield because he came up as a third baseman. So for him to do what he did last year, and there was a lot of pressure, you know, the way he got sent down, the way that whole thing played out where he wasn't playing for a while, and then all of a sudden he gets sent down and he's being told to do some different things and he really struggles there. And then he kind of stopped doing those things and he was fine. He comes back and he was fine. Like it was, it was, that was one of the other weird things that happened uh, last season for sure. Uh, I if he play if if his outfield defense it, all season long is equal to what he did in the final month of the season, it's not great. It's probably a little bit below average, but it's fine if he is as good offensively or even takes a, a half step forward offensively. I'm not worried about Walker at all. Yep.
1: And finally, the old, I guess the last little bit of news this week: Adam Wainwright goes into the broadcast booth, and we kind of expected that. Are you looking forward to interviewing Wainwright as a media contemporary?
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to see what he. I think what he does is really important. See, um, so he had that that viral. Remember, he had the viral video last year when he uh, talked about the differentiation between a sweeper and a slider. Uh, I, I, I really think stuff like that is important for the game of baseball because there's going to be a group of people that say oh, a sweeper is just this newfangled term, it's analytics, it's this, it's that. And they're not going to accept the fact that this is an actual pitch and it's different than other pitches. I can't tell you how many times I've said sweeper and people have just said, ah, that's just a slider. No, it's not. It's different. And what Wainwright did last year in that moment was he very concisely and accurately described the difference between a sweeper and a slider. And I'm all about people learning about the game, being educated about the game. The game is changing, understanding why it's changing. Even sometimes the aesthetics of the game, it it may not look as exciting as it did previously, but just because a more exciting brand of baseball, just because it's more exciting doesn't mean it's for sure a more successful or you're going to get more wins out of it and, and understanding the direction our game goes. So Um, I'm really excited for what Wainwright is going to be able to do for people who really listen, because I thought him talking sweeper slider last year, the kind of the, the people out there who don't accept the sweeper as being its own pitch, it'd be really hard to watch that video and still say that. So I am Mm. appreciative of that. I'm excited for what he's going to do. I think he's good for the game of baseball to be in that spot. And I'm just excited for him after playing baseball as long as he did, I always, you know, when When uh, people always talk about players retiring and how uh, Albert Pulo should be the next hitting coach, Yadier Molina should be the next manager, Adam Wainwright should be the next uh, pitching coach. Like, no, these guys have just spent the last 20 plus years of their life uh, Mm -hmm. doing nothing but baseball and they deserve an opportunity to wake up a little later, to spend some time with their family, to do all those things. So I'm I'm always excited he's going to do, you know, a, a game of the week. Who knows how much Fox really uses him. We don't know for sure what that's going to look like. I know at the end of last season he talked about maybe there'd be a chance to do some games for Bally this year. Who knows if that's going to happen, if that conversation is still going on. But just for a guy like Adam Wainwright who gave so much of himself to the Cardinals, I'm excited that his life is going to look a little more normal here moving forward.
1: Yeah as normal as a country music or uh, sure. <laughs> baseball players life can look like, I guess, Matt, I appreciate you joining me. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to hit on before we close up?
0: Oh, um, not that we, we hit on a lot of stuff. Not that I can oh. think of this was real, I enjoyed this conversation. Let me say that publicly. I really enjoyed uh, being able to have this conversation with you. So thank you for having me.
1: Well, thanks for joining us. It was a lot of fun and look forward to doing it again at some point in time, either later this year or sometime next year, and bring you on, and, and we'll do it again. Um, next week, we've got Katie Wu joining us, uh, so we look forward to that. But until then, for Matt, I'm Daniel. Good night. The
0: swing along a long fly ball to left by Ozzy. He wouldn't Good Ready. He, he fired. Did! Woo!